Welcome to Zymer, guys. Ahoy, hoy. We are Bob and Larry. Mm-hmm. And we're here to talk to you about some of the stranger stories of beer and fermentation throughout history. You can find us on all of your favourite podcasting platforms, as well as all social media, good and bad, at Zymer Guys Pod. This is episode 22, The Floating Breweries of World War II. Bob? Yes. War. Huh. What is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing, I'm told. That is exactly the answer I was looking for. I'm so glad we finally made it to that. It's, we've, we've had so many wars in our podcast previously, and it's taken us this long to get to that pun or joke mm. or reference. I don't know if it, that, that's a good thing or if that's our jumping the shark moment. Yeah, it was, it was best leaving that one alone. I think so. We're on the record now. Good God, y'all. I would say, besides absolutely nothing, the other acceptable answer is topics for podcast episodes. Yes. Guys in flannelette shirts, much like us, who obsessively talk into microphones, do tend to lean towards war. There's just so many options. There is. Especially once you open it from the uh, traditional Eurocentric view. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's so many wars to get obsessed over for, the, for a bit, read a couple of books, mm-hmm. then move on to the next the, one. And the it's a never-ending story. when you turn 30. Or, or <sighs> every, every man who I, turns 30 gets a war that they're obsessed I with. I, I honestly don't have a single war. I get these ADHD, ultra-focus uh, moments for like a specific war. For a it month depends or two. on what you're like reading on Wikipedia that week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's which, which is rabbit quickly. hole you go down. Exactly. I, also been, depends on which video game you're playing. Exactly. When you, oh, especially you're sitting there setting up your phalanx, and you think to yourself, "Geez, I'd like to know a bit more about the phalanx." I've been playing Hogwarts Legacy. It's uh, so so right now like, you're like obsessed with the Wizard Civil War. Problematic, that war. <laughs> it was ultra problematic. It was uh, the goblins versus wizards in the game. And it was oh, not a right. kind of fiction. Okay, so they've like created a, a new war. For basically, them. basically. Right. It was like it's, it's Randrock and his loyalists trying to uh, harness like some ancient the power goblins. and like the, beat humans. Did you the, know the that the goblin goblins? wall... Uh, uh, Gringotts. Gringotts goblins. Like that, that, that those same, type of goblins. Same species, yes. Yeah, right. Did you know that the goblin language in the game and in the wizarding world is called gobbledygook? Do they really? They <laughs> literally <laughs> call it that. It is, again, the car bomb it's, of O'Flanagan yeah, it's situation. it's a mess from top to bottom, that universe, isn't it? It's a mess. But we get sidetracked. Mm. We wanted to talk about wars integral part of the human experience sadly always raging on there's many to pick from Mm -hmm. but one thing that's always walked hand in hand with wars is booze Mm -hmm. yeah as long as there's been a military there has been military rations of of alcohol as we've touched on a few times in a number of episodes Mm -hmm. and i'm pretty sure this is yet again one of our dennis rodman dennis is rodman (laughs) i don't know uh what part did he play in the Goblin War? Just racist. <laughs> <laughs> but soldiers always have needy booze. And uh, I think there's not a single military force that's 
maybe more known for their massive boozing than the Royal Navy. Of course, yeah. The Royal Navy up until and throughout the Napoleonic Wars, they would get ration, daily rations of uh, half a gallon of beer twice a day. Mm-hmm. Half a gallon, we're talking... That's two liters, okay, more right. or less. So, so about four, four pints. Four pints twice a day. Four pints twice a day, so, so eight pints. Decent shifties. Yeah, that's a that's quite a bit of beer daily. Mm, at one point, they switched out the four pints twice a day beer rations to rum rations. So the enlisted men in the Royal Navy would get a pint of rum Oh, a thank, day. thank God, a pint, not... Eight pints. Yes. Okay. One pint. One Although pint, one, one pint of rum is still... It's half saying? a liter. That's... Yeah. If, a, if we're talking about like the standard pour of say 30 mil or 40 mil, depending on where you are, mm-hmm. that's that's like 10 to 12 shots. Yeah. That's that's a fair amount of rum. That's more actually. It's more than a fair amount of rum. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know how successful your Navy is if like everyone's off their faces. Yeah, no. <laughs> and supposedly the rum they would get was also of very decent quality. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? I'm assuming get... quite high ABV as well. We... Did you know that the term proof comes from the Royal Navy? No, that I did not In terms of like how much ABV. Supposedly they would uh, take little chunks of uh, gunpowder and submerge them in rum. If it still went off, if it worked as gunpowder, it would be of at least 57 ABV. So you know that you're... So uh, that's the proof. Yeah, it hasn't been watered down too much. That's your proof right there. It's in Literally the, the proof. Yes. That it's... Okay, right. And that's where we get that from. Supposedly. Right, because the, the United States, they still use proof as, oh, yeah. as sort of an industry standard, don't they? Not for their bourbons and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. We also know of the term Navy strength. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, classic, uh, the, the reputation of the Navy... <laughs> coming to us with the uh, the high ABV version of gin being called naval strength. That's when you know you're like the town drunk, or in this case, like the, the drunk of the high seas, mm-hmm. that they call the strongest, wickedest boost that gets you <laughs> off your face the most. The Navy you. one, yep. The uh, enlisted men in the Royal Navy would uh, keep getting these daily rum rations uh, until 1970. Mm-hmm. 1970? Uh, 1970. Okay, wow. I forget the date. I think it was the 31st of July, uh, which they called the Black Tot Day, uh, when all the um, seamen threw their tots, their little uh, cups, uh, that they would usually get their rations in, into the sea. The tot? Mm-hmm. Huh. Wait, hang on. So now I'm even picturing that you're not receiving like a flask... No, you're daily. getting your shots. So you've, you've actually got to go to a guy. I don't in, know in it's how it actually uh, okay. how it actually worked. I don't know if they. I don't think they doled it out like uh, medicine in uh, yeah, like one the, flew over the cuckoo's <laughs> nest. You know, you go like the siren goes off at, at lunch break, and you've got to go and line up and get your shot of rum. That's at least in 1970 little. as well. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, the Navy has influenced the way we drink in general quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm, in typical British fashion, they would go places to visit and co-opt everything they had. Yeah, I mean, we've uh, already seen for. several times in various episodes how much the, the Royal British Navy had brought back various things or taken various things to places. And, I mean, the Baltic Porter, as we just talked about. Exactly. And, and how, how all that shook down. One of the more famous drinks that the Navy spread across the world, uh, and I'll let you guess what do you think it is. 
It comes from Sanskrit word, panji. It's uh, Sanskrit for five. And the five stood for the five ingredients of this mm. drink. So it was alcohol, uh, sugar, lemon, water, and some tea or spice. Oh, so it's, it's more of a cocktail. It's, it's punch. It's a punch. Punch. Oh, right. It's a punch. Okay. The British Navy spread this drink across the world, and it's a staple until today. Of course, it wasn't an everyday drink of the Navy, but uh, it was more of an officer's drink. Not because of the booze that was rationed to everyone, but of course because of the lemons or the fruit mm. in it and the sugar in it. Oh, okay. This sounds like it's going to be a scurvy situation again, right? I mean, the officers didn't have scurvy. The they didn't were have scurvy. getting hammered by or on punch. Yeah. And supposedly it was so strong that uh, they would have to switch out. Uh, the helpers or the, the 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 guys that would serve them on an hourly basis because they would get uh, drunk on the fumes alone. It was so strong. What? This drink. Yeah, this is this is a <laughs> seaman's tale. Yeah, yeah. But you know, pre 1970, they would still get their rations, uh, be it in rum or in gin, uh, which the navy is also, of course, super mm -hmm. known for. So we get one of our more common cocktails also from the Navy. And this is a cure for our good old friend scurvy. Okay. This is the gin and tonic. This is the gin and tonic. Mm -hmm. Do you think they like made that connection straight away? Or do you think like they just assumed that gin cured scurvy? I'm sure this has come up before, actually. Like the, the I, false equivalent. I think it was the, the water in it that was supposed to uh, be the cure. <laughs> Hydration. Mm -hmm. uh, but oh, also the we, lemon and the that's lime That's what it was. It. it was the carbonation. Exactly. We, we talked about putting the putting the lime in the carbonated water, but they were thinking that the carbonated water exactly. was, was getting that. Yeah, uh, but right, right, right. Basically, the gin and tonic was born out of that. Mm -hmm. But as a positive side effect, it also had helped cure your scurvy because it kept you hydrated and uh, vitamins in the uh, lemon and lime. And presumably angry. And also angry. But uh, funnily enough, yet another etymology moment here this is where we get the term limey from <laughs> oh, right. and it literally is i'd never thought of that before put those two and two together but it makes total sense but let's scooch over from our mixed drinks that we're not big fans of mm -hmm. anyway to our good old favorite beer and let's get back to an actual war this time mm -hmm. world war ii here we uh, are again. We had multiple theaters, one of them being the Pacific Ocean mm -hmm. Theater, which, of course, was a problem uh, because it's quite far away, especially from British soldiers. Yes. So how do you keep your forces happy? Of course, you got to have them well stocked with their favorite beer. Or you just deploy mostly Australians and New Zealanders. But even from there, during that time, it took quite a while to get there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as we know beer especially beer in those times didn't travel all that well yeah we we're still in the early days of like canning and yeah but cans weren't as we as we've di discussed before they weren't fantastic how do you keep up morale in, uh, in the in the theater with shit beer you don't uh <laughs> really We've discussed it also in uh, multiple episodes, how in the um, Pacific, even during, in Vietnam, beer sucked so much that, you know, a dude 
in a back or with a backpack went over and delivered boxes of beer or cans of beer. Was to that his because friends. the beer was bad, or was it because he had a really misguided idea of patriotism? Because <laughs> he was a psychopath. <laughs> also, because he didn't think people would call him out on it. Yeah, it was, it was a night of bravado that everyone remembered and decided to hold him to. But also, in his book, he did describe how much the beer sucked yeah. over there. Right? Yeah, and uh, also the beer that was shipped in because it took such a long time for it to get there mm-hmm. and it would quite often spoil we're talking about the pre-pasteurization and mm-hmm. um, separation and all that stuff so why not make the beer no way we've, we've absolutely got pasteurization by the vietnam War. we're talking world war ii we've also definitely got pasteurization i mean it. yes but was it a common practice for beers oh, i don't know yeah me neither that's why i said like, yeah <laughs> i I'm, I'm i'm assuming it wasn't like common practice for beers yeah assume away we we can we can fact check this later <laughs> uh good thing we're not like recording this or anything <laughs> since beer uh, kind of sucked there um, the logical conclusion is to make it on site mm-hmm. but in a war situation it's maybe a little bit problematic like well if you're yes fighting the japanese to kind of like set up your breweries so why not make it on sea and this is, uh, yeah, again, what you said in the last episode. Why don't make it on ships? Enter the HMS Menistius. Menistius? Menistius, like the like Greek hero. The oh, okay. Menistius. <laughs> uh, the, the Greek sh- hero. The Greek hero. Uh, what did he get up to? Fought in the Trojan War. Ah, uh, okay, right. One of those guys. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know of his like very specific heroics, but he was one of the dudes in the Trojan the tro- War. The Trojan War was a good time for Greek heroes. There were quite a few of them. All of them. All of them. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> thank the, you for your service. <laughs> thank you for your service, guys. Um, the Menestius before becoming the Menestius uh, originally started its life off as a, a merchant vessel. It was built in 1929, uh, but then it was converted into a mine layer, um, mm-hmm. mine laying ship uh, for the Northern Barrage uh, project, which is uh, a big part of the Second World War, where they would mine big shipping routes uh, from the northern islands of uh, the British Isles mm-hmm. uh, to Iceland and well into the Danish Straits. Basically, the goal was to keep the Germans out of the Atlantic yep. and uh, if possible guide them into a very specific uh, shipping yeah, right, route. Yeah, that's a really big strip of open it, ocean. It was. And the Ministerius was part of this, but mm-hmm. that work was done by uh, 19, uh, 1942. So it was kind of left idle uh, until it was uh, shipped over to Vancouver, Canada to be converted yet again. Uh, it and its sister ship HMS Agamemnon. Or her sister ship, I'm sorry. Again, from the Trojan Wars. Exactly. Mm, That's a big trip to, to it Vancouver. Was, it was a bit of uh, a trip. Referring back to our, uh, our third host, The Map. Our good old friend, The Map. It's only got 112 countries, but it, it still serves us fine. Did you take the time to count? No, I was kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> About it being a very a old of, map. That's a lot of countries missing. I think the map is basically our age group as well. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure there's countries on <laughs> that don't exist. I mean, I'm, I am noticing that South Sudan is not on that map straight away. 
1944, the conversion was done. So the HMS Menestius became an amenity ship. It had a dance hall, it had a theater, it had a brewery. A uh, big old An amenity brewery. ship for servicemen? Yeah. Its goal was to... They were, uh, oh, so you the British like, Navy had the, uh, plans for building 10 of these amenities ships. Mm. Uh, if the war dragged on, they could rotate soldiers yeah, in Yeah, you and got like a shore and, leave, but it's on but a it's boat. But it's on still. a boat that has a big old brewery in it. And a dance hall. And a dance a discotheque. hall. Discotheque. The brewery it had was 55 barrels. Mm. And barrels are the most confusing thing in the world. Might as well like measure shit in washing machines. Yeah. There's like so many Six of these barrels. Of barrels. I, 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 I'm not entirely sure how much this 55 is. Uh, if it's... Presumably a British barrel. If it's the UK barrel, then it's about 9,000 liters. Okay. That's a big-ass boil kettle. Yeah. That's, do, you think that, do you think that's kettle capacity or that was capacity? it was said that it uh, they had a boil kettle of 9000 liters a, a kettle of or uh, sorry 55 liters. barrels yeah in the other case if it's like um, fluid barrels then it's six and a half thousand okay. which is still a very sizable brew house i mean it's the size of poyola's brew house more and, or less yeah i mean looking in the window here you can see that this would take up a very large portion of the ship let's it's a big ship. It's a big ship. It's a big ship. It's a big brew house. The boil was actually powered by the steam created by the engine, mm-hmm. so it was also very efficient. <laughs> Why are you just thinking like classic brewery problems? Do you think the guy ever had to like call up to the engineers and say, hey, can we like drop about five knots off the speed? I'm not getting a good efficiency on the boil. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Uh, it said they had six fermenters uh, with a total capacity of uh, 250 barrels a week. Okay. So these 250 barrels a week, first of all, it's pretty quick turnover. Mm-hmm. But if it's, again, if it's the British um, barrels, then that's about 41,000 liters, 40,000 liters I mean, liters this is a, a really sizable brewery. This and is a sizable brewery. And if it's the uh, fluid uh, uh, barrels then we're talking about 29,000 uh, almost 30,000 liters mm-hmm. a week that's still quite that's, an that's output huge. especially on six fermenters alone yeah that's quick turnover just think of like we are on a boat like liquid weight yeah is, is it's, a big, it's, a, it's a lot we can like, put a li- picture of a the lot. boat on mm-hmm. uh, or the ship rather that's that's no boat that's so like 30,000 liters if, if all of those fermenters are full, I mean, like, do you think they're, they're kind of spaced across the boat in a certain way? Like, they, they would have... If, if the brewery is all down one side, <laughs> this would be, like, a significant... Of course. Yeah. Or maybe they're, like, horizontal. I mean, yeah, but even then... Like, it's still... Anyway, they would. I'm sure the uh, naval engineers have figured out this ballast problem much, much better than I am currently figuring it out. I don't know. I lack these technical details. Did it sink? Spoiler it alert. Not. Okay, well then, cool. It did not. <laughs> and uh, you could go and drink these beers also. On the, not only did they supply the men on shore, but uh, you could also enjoy these beers. That a tap room on the boat. On, in the tap room on the boat. Mm-hmm. It was called Davy Jones. The Davy Jones Bar. <laughs> nice. 
It wasn't the most exciting brewery in the sense that they only produced one beer. Mm-hmm. It was a mild English ale of uh, 3.7 ABV. Yeah. And uh, in an article from 1947, the recipe was discussed a little bit. It, uh, it was said that it was made of uh, distilled seawater, uh, special uh, brewery malt extracts, and hop concentrates. So, oh, so it is very much white label government beer. But, uh, made on site, it was fresh. Yeah. Once, or by the time the soldiers got it, but but also presumably full ability to distill seawater on on the boat as well. Exactly. This is an enormous operation. This is a pretty dope operation, and mm. the plans were to build ten of these. And de- desalination as well, I assume you know. Must be. Yeah. Well, RO. Mm. Uh, they hired. George Brown of Truman's Brewery, which at that time was one of the largest breweries uh, in the UK. Uh, He was actually commissioned as a Royal Navy officer and head brewer, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Imagine getting your draft letter that you now... You've, you, You now have to serve as brewer on the naval ship. But officer... On a naval yeah, ship. Yeah, and he's gotten an officer class. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Sadly, it was a little bit too late in terms of the war. Mm. The first batch was brewed after the war was already over. Okay. Even though it, they were a little bit late for the actual war efforts, uh, the occupation in the uh, Pacific region lasted for quite a while. So mm-hmm. it did make uh, uh, trips out to Yokohama, Shanghai, Hong Kong, among other places. Yep. And uh, like I said, originally there were plans to build 10 of these, mm-hmm. but they only ended up uh, actually the using this one. 10 of them? That would have been pretty cool, having a fleet of breweries. Breweries, yeah. That's an enormous undertaking. That's a massive undertaking. Too bad they could never make it work. And there was news a couple of years ago about the U.S. scrapping like 20 naval ships among mm. the other, uh, among them, I think, even the one that we saw here in Tallinn supposed to go because they're renewing the... Oh, yeah, we had yeah, a, yeah. a big Usnavi ship here. <laughs> my favorite part of that because, uh, again, the pair of us went out to go and see it. With the kids. With the kids. But like the, this enormous, imposing uh, U.S. battleship with all of its uh, incredible helicopters and just the might of this thing that was sitting in Tallinn Bay. But it happened to arrive on the same day as an even bigger and even mightier German cruise ship happened to show up. So there's all these people on the sun deck of this thing that was about twice the size. It was enormous. It was the biggest cruise ship I'd ever seen. And it just dwarfed dwarfed this American cruiser. It had like... (laughs) Helicopters and planes and everything and big old guns. Yeah, and suddenly, like everyone's, massive sever- thing. suddenly everyone's suddenly everyone's out there taking called? photos of the. Uh, oh, I can't remember its name. I'd I, have to. I'd have to look through my photos to remember what it was called. It's look. It's probably the Liberty or the Roosevelt. Uh, no, it wasn't. But it anyway, was one of the lesser ones, the Nixon. Well, we, we'll have to do a post about it. But my favorite part about that was like once we, me and my daughter, we got there. Uh, you and your son were already there, and it's like, so how how you guys liking it? And your response was? Oh, it was, um... Well, Bjorn... Bjorn Bjorn really likes machines. No, on the one hand, he really loves big ships. (laughs) But on the other hand, he really hates American colonialism. And uh, he had to tap him and me too, bro. 
but I, this was the shortest run ever. I have nothing. That's fine.